escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Joy 99.7 FM Live on radio, live online. This is the locker room on Joy 99.7 FM. Hi there, welcome. I'm Steve Crossman. On this edition of the pod, we're going to be discussing the continuing and worsening situation with COVID on the Premier League and beyond. Uh, more matches have been postponed for the weekend. I'll give you the list in a moment. We will also talk about the games that have happened, albeit more briefly. Uh, big result for Liverpool. They beat Newcastle 3-1. It finished Chelsea 1, Everton 1 at Stamford Bridge. So the top of the Premier League looks like this. Manchester City top, 41 points. Liverpool second with 40. Chelsea third with 37. Uh, Julian Laurent is, is with us. You've made it to the, the Premier League show, Jules. I'm very honoured. I would like to thank all my family. Uh, <laughs> <all> my <laughs> thank you, uh, John Akers and Mark Lawrenson are with us at Anfield. Mark, if you want to practice any more of your French, Jules is, is very much here to help. Oh, oui, merci, mon ami. Très bien. I was a bit worried then. I thought that could have been swearing. <laughs> <laughs> comes later. You can do that too, yeah. Uh, there was a bit of that actually, John, when uh, when Mo Salah, who scored, got substituted, wasn't they? Wasn't yeah. happy at all. Yeah, he was, and that just says a lot about him, doesn't it? That 15 goals for the season, nine assists, and 15 goal involvements in a row. There's 18 minutes to go, and uh, it's 2-1 Liverpool, and they want to rest his legs. They don't know what's going to be happening with fixtures over the next week or so, obviously, and coming off. He just walked past Jurgen Klopp, grabbed his training top off the staff. He wants to play, demands to play, and Mane every single game. And he was absolutely livid he came off after scoring the goal to make it 2-1 in the first half. He, made, he missed the best chance, though, didn't he? The one-on-one. Yeah, he had a one-on-one to make it 3-1. And if he'd made it 3-1, could have been seven. It was one of those games today when Newcastle really hung on in there. Mark, we're, we're going to shortly get really stuck into all the, the games that have been cancelled for COVID and what happens going mm-hmm. forward. But that, that was a, a relevant point that John made there about, you know, Liverpool have no idea. Nobody has any idea how many games they may or may not be playing now. No. Um, I think they should cancel the weekend's games. Just just cancel, have a reset. Or was it actually the Brentford manager? Thomas Frank, yeah. Yeah, just, you know, just do that for now and, 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 you know, take a step back and take stock and then and see where we're at, basically, because half the games are already be off, won't they? I think they already are. Yep. So why don't you just cancel the others and then sit down and, and, you know, get everybody around the table. Well, not physically, but everybody on Zoom in terms of all the 20 Premier League teams and have a discussion. Well, John Southall at, uh, at Stamford Bridge was telling us earlier there was a feeling in the press box there that, you know, will this or, or won't this be the last time we see live football for a, a little bit of time? Um, it finished Chelsea 1, Everton 1. Pat Nevin is, is there for us now. Hey, Pat. Hi there. How are you doing, Steve? Yeah, good. And we'll, we'll get on to the COVID stuff. But as, as far as the result goes, um, it's, a, it's a missed opportunity for Chelsea. And not the first. Uh, for mm. a good little period of time, there was, uh, we go back to the Burnley game recently when Chelsea had most of the game. Even Manchester United here, um, when it was a draw and Chelsea again had most of the game. Today, they had 80% of the p- possession, a whole bunch of chances in both halves, mostly in the first half. But uh, Everton rode the luck for the first half and second half. You know, they came out a bit, looked a little bit more dangerous and took their one, <laughs> just about their one chance and took it incredibly well. But in the midst of it, all that, lots and lots of stories here, but, you know, it's got to be rough of the story. I mean, Pickford was great, by the way, probably gets man of the match uh, for a couple of brilliant saves and three or four other very good ones. But Rafa, I mean, honestly, to come to uh, Chelsea, to set up the way that not complicated stuff, 5-4-1, um, but to play Branthwaite, to play Gordon, Sims, Dobbin comes on, and Yango. These are names, unless you're an Everton fan, you have no idea what I'm saying here. <laughs> just players that you very rarely get an opportunity. Yeah, by the end of the game, I didn't think Chelsea were going to score 10 minutes to go. I didn't see it coming. It was so well-structured and so well-organised, and uh, well done, Rafa. 
Big result then for uh, for Everton. Let's let's hear from Rafa Benitez. Yeah, obviously, always it's difficult to to get points here, but the way that we did it and with all the problems with illness and injuries, uh, with uh, so many senior players not available, and then uh, players on the bench that they still have some issues, and see the young players, the way that they were working and they were playing, and also some of the senior players that were not playing. They think uh, I think that they did everything that they they could do to get the points, and sometimes you need a little bit of luck. I think this year we are not very lucky with the injuries and and the issues, but uh, at the end, I think today was a, a great point, and the fans appreciate that with the with the commitment of the players, the, the intensity they put on the pitch. It took tremendous character from the players today to get that point, didn't it? Yeah, I think it, it's always difficult to get points here, but um, when you are working so hard for 70 minutes and you concede a goal to react the way that we reacted, I think it's even more important to show the character of these players. On a personal level, how much satisfaction can you take? Because we know that there's been some dissatisfaction from the fans. We saw that at Palace. Does this put a smile on your face? I think that the fans have been great from day one. So then when you talk about fans, it's just how many, but the, the reality that since the first day against Southampton the fans have been fantastic and today you could see that they were enjoying so what they want is the same that we want to win and sometimes the frustration is there but uh, I think that uh, we know we understand that if we stick together we are stronger How much were your plans thrown into disarray by the players that you've had to do without at short notice? No we were the game plan was the same we had uh, two or three days we were thinking about how to play against them and then it was the clear idea after you have to mix the players and see which one is available but uh, I think that they, they did really well and because they could understand exactly what we wanted to do and then without practice, practicing too much because we have a couple of days but they, they knew exactly what they, we were looking for and they did well. Jared's first goal for Everton it was a pretty good finish as well wasn't it? Yeah he's a good player, he's a young player that has the potential and then he did well so we were practicing set pieces and we are missing sometimes goals in set pieces but uh, so really good and really pleased for him. And how about Jordan's performance this evening? You know he was probably a man of the match I'd say. Yeah he made some good saves so I think it's important to have a a good keeper behind a good defender so I think we did well. And just finally we know that Covid's caused quite a few games to be called off now. Do you think that we need to take a break in the Premier League to try and have a reset a firebreaker as they're calling it? Yeah we have to be sure that the priority is the health of the people so we, we can be an example for a lot of people because the virus is there and then it's spreading out very quickly so we have to be sure that the, if we have to protect people that has to be the priority. Jules I almost feel bad that we don't have Guillaume Balaguer with us he would have loved that <laughs> bit of Rafa praise would. that would have been right up his straight yeah and, and I think Pat summed it up really well I think for Tuchel this is Chelsea used to be so ruthless after you arrived you know they they they, 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 they could kill you off with just one chance or two chances and certainly the, 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 the thing we had last season at times was okay they should create a bit more because they went on a day off in the finishing and now they, they create enough they just can't score and of course tonight there was no Lukaku no Harvards and there's, there's been injuries Kovacic and, and Golokante was back on the bench tonight but this, this form is not enough at West Ham they were not good enough they kept making individual mistakes Pat mentioned the one against United for example the Burnley draw even at Watford when they win they, they didn't deserve to win so it's been tough for them and of course you can blame the schedule and the fatigue and the injuries and all of that but I, I think there's something missing there that they had last season certainly after Tuchel arrived and I can't re- I'm not sure he can even figure himself what it is really but there's something clearly missing something missing Pat? Yeah, um, I think I know it's messy. Um, they controlled midfields and being creative from there for a long time. And they usually had two or three players, and it's usually Conte, Kovacic and Jorginho. Um, and they've not had two of them together over that period that they've struggled with. Uh, they've got other players in there and tried them all, and none of them have really worked. Yeah, they got 8% possession today, but, you know, it didn't seem that structured. Um, it didn't seem as if they were, you know, controlling that a way that was going to be dangerous and quick, whereas you watch the, the driving that you get from Kovacic and the driving you get from Kante as well and the skills from him as well. Um, there's other players go missing. You know, you talk about centre-forwards, people say you're losing goals because... You, you know, have a look at the defence. Well, in actual fact, the defence weren't getting a hell of a lot of cover from that central midfield area for a good period of time in some of those games as well. So they've absolutely been dependent for a long time and two of those three being in that central area. And they've sometimes had none of them. And some of the times they've had one being Jorginho and he's not been fully fit. So if, if I was to say, watching all the games, which I do, um, that's the problem. You know, they need to get that sorted out because they've never been massive big scorers they've not got they've not had a 20 goal 25 goal a season scorer for a long time so that's not the, the problem they've had because they share the goals around 
really they need those two back and Canty strangely enough tonight clearly the man that was needed he was on the bench wasn't brought on so he couldn't have been fully fit that's a, a Chelsea team that were without Ben Chilwell, Callum Hudson at I, Timo Werner and Romelu Lukaku have all tested positive for COVID. And, and Liverpool, I mean, look, they, they got the, one, the win, John, but they've had problems with that as well. Yeah, they have. They've got Virgil van Dijk, Curtis Jones looks at notes furiously and one Sorry, Fabinho. 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 Fabinho's the other one isn't he yeah they, they've got those those cases in the camp at the moment and you wonder how many more that'll turn into um, interestingly in his programme notes Jurgen Klopp said they are at almost 100% of players and staff are double vaccinated and that he's just had the third and he's urging other people to do the same as well and he said he'll listen to the experts on it all and listen to the people who've got bigger brains than him I think is what he said in his programme notes and make a, a decision based on that but you wonder how many more over the next couple of days if there's three tested positive there already how many more will come out let's hear from the Liverpool manager this is Jurgen Klopp with Martin Fisher I think so far football kept it pretty much outside um, with the testing regimes we, we had this massive disciplinary things where the boys did really well we, we, we kept it outside but obviously this time it's really difficult my boys are all vaccinated, um, double vaccinated, some boosted, but it's not about that you that you cannot get it. It's just you can still get it. But the the, 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 the present we got from some scientists is that you get through it without real struggles, and that's the most important thing, by the way. Um, and so we was not cool to get the information this morning that the boys are not available, but knowing that they are all properly vaccinated gives us a good chance that they will come back after the 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 how many days ever um, they have to to stay isolated they will be fine I and mean, that's the most important stuff because players or, or people's welfare is the most important thing in the moment and that's why yeah it's tricky but football problems you sort with football the other problems i don't have a lot of solutions for but i know that thomas frank said it, may, uh, um, it would make sense to or he thinks it would be the right thing to do to to stop the league i don't see the massive benefit in it because we come back and it's still the same. If the virus would be gone then, I've been, I'm the first who stops and, and goes home and waits until it's gone. But um, that's probably not the case. Um, so where's the, where's the real benefit of it? I don't know it, but there are. So now we can, so we hope we can play. Honestly, we hope we can play and I hope Tottenham can play and all these kind of things and then play on Sunday. The Premier League has to think about a few things. I think stopping the league is probably not the right thing, but I think with the fixtures, we just have to fix the schedule. We just have to be more flexible to wait here. There's space for players especially for teams who don't play international football I think in the second half of the season there are normal weeks we can talk about cup competitions all these kind of things do we really have to play two semi-finals and stuff like this do we have to do we need to have a, a rematch if we're going to draw all these kind of things we have all, all everybody has to step a little bit back and then I think we have a chance to get through it if it stays like this if it gets worse we have to well, let's get into the meat of this then, because it's it's absolutely unavoidable. Um, there are half of the weekend's games have now gone. So on Saturday, Manchester United, Brighton, Southampton, Brentford, Watford, Palace, West Ham, Norwich. On Sunday, Everton v Leicester, all postponed. The Premier League have said all of these games uh, to be played this weekend. Uh, sorry, all other fixtures due to be played this weekend are scheduled to proceed as planned. Here's the Brighton chief executive, Paul Barber, who's been speaking to myself and our correspondent, John Murray. It's a fast-moving and difficult uh, situation for, for anyone to uh, to manage um, even though we've been in the pandemic now for, for quite a long time um, you know the situation does seem to, to, to change quite rapidly um, and so the Premier League are faced with a number of difficult decisions almost on a daily basis and of course every one of those decisions is is different you know every every club has got a different situation that they're facing whether it's a closure of a training ground enforced closure of a tra training ground when the local authority uh, forces it an outbreak within the squad and of course at this time of year anyway when we've got a, a, heav a heavily congested fixture program we're all contending with injuries and we're ten contending with illnesses and we're contending with a number of other factors which, you know, COVID simply places further demands on, on the squad. And the, the problem is when you get down to the bare bones of squads, at this time of year, managers, coaches will be looking to rotate their, their teams, rotate the players, give them breaks, try and limit any kind of potential muscle damage and, and other um, other fatigue injuries at this stage of the season. But when you're down to the bare bones of the squad, your ability to do that is obviously massively limited. 
So at a time when we've already got very thin squads, we're picking up even more injuries because players that would normally be rested or rotated are having to play more minutes. Um, and it's very, very difficult then for the managers and coaches to, to get through this, this period um, with the integrity of the competition intact. You know, we want to play competitive games for our fans. We want to make sure our broadcast partners are, are satisfied with the quality of the product that we're offering. And all of these things are at the moment in conflict uh, with the situation we're all facing. So, yes, a long answer, but it's a very difficult situation the Premier League are facing and uh, all clubs are facing. I mean, we, Paul, are receiving quite a lot of statements at the moment. We've probably had three or four just from the Premier League today because of the, you know, the speed at which it's moving. So what's it like behind the scenes? You know, how many conversations are going on? Is it, you know, four or five phone calls a day about this? What? Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, Richard Masters, the Premier League's chief executive, and I spoke very early this morning about the situation that was developing at Manchester United. I then had conversations with Manchester United to, to find out, obviously, where things were with them. And then, you know, once a formal postponement request is, is submitted to the Premier League, you know, there's a period at which uh, the league themselves have to work internally to consider all of the situation that, that, that they're facing and then obviously communicate with the clubs. And at that point, of course, our priority is our fans because we've got fans that are committed to train travel, hotel bookings, um, some are meeting up with friends in different parts of the country to travel to the game. And, you know, we're really keen to make sure that in these situations we minimise the impact on supporters as well. It's an expensive time of year as it is. And if we can avoid putting them to unnecessary expense by the, the, the very latest cancellations, then we've absolutely got to do that. Is this going to bring financial fears back to the surface again? You know, obviously, if you, for yourself, I've heard you speak before about clubs down the pyramid and, and the number of games that are being postponed there and the fact that we, that we simply don't know where this is going again. I think the uncertainty, John, is, is, is probably one of the biggest problems. Um, not, not knowing whether you know, this will go on for, for, for days or weeks or, or more months is, is obviously a real concern. And you know, one of the reasons we, um, in the Premier League at least, have brought in the protocols that we have um, as recently as last night when we played Wolverhampton Wanderers, where we're COVID pass checking the fans, we're asking them to pre-register questionnaires to declare their COVID status, uh, we're asking them to wear masks in and around the stadium, is all designed to try and keep people as safe as possible so that we can keep the grounds open. And obviously, um, that is a huge priority for us, given that the revenues that we've lost during the early part of the pandemic. And we're very keen to make sure um, that priority, obviously, is to keep people safe. We want to do our bit to protect the NHS, but we also want to do our bit to protect our own businesses as well and to try and keep people coming into the stadiums. You know, people missed their football during the pandemic. Fans were desperate to come back. We've got them back, and now we want to keep them there. But at the same time, we've got a big responsibility to keep them safe as well. With you have fans with um, you know with COVID passports, like you say, Paul. What about players? I'm I'm interested to know what kind of a role that that Brighton the club play with the players when it comes to to vaccinations. Because, for example, you know we know that those who've been double jabbed if they're identified as a as a close contact don't have to isolate. Unvaccinated players would have to isolate in that situation, and obviously not everybody is is vaccinated so does the club encourage players do you get the sense that premier league clubs in general encourage their players to be vaccinated or not absolutely and you know we're fortunate at brighton we've now got the vast majority of our our squad uh, vaccinated um all we can do is encourage and educate support help guide answer any questions um try and make the case for for being vaccinated not only for for their own protection and, and the protection of their ability to train and play with their colleagues but also just generally for the community um but of course what we're not in a position to do is to force players uh to to vaccinate any more than bbc's bosses can force you to vaccinate so you know we've got that difficult balance between encouraging and supporting um and educating but at the same time not having the power or the influence to force people we've been fortunate you know the vast majority of our players now are, are double vaccinated just about to start the booster program we make it as easy as possible for them to get vaccinated if they've got any concerns any medical questions we've got a, a huge team of medics that are in place and able to answer those questions um, and of course where there are problems where people haven't been vaccinated and have become ill because of the virus obviously you know in the in, in, in the right way we, we point out those cases and, and and try and you know highlight the risks of not being vaccinated at this time um, but it is a, a very very careful balancing act between encouragement and education but not forcing someone to do something that they don't want to do for whatever reason that may be
When it comes to the the season continuing and, and not having sort of an enforced circuit break, do you have a sort of a line in the sand in mind? You talked about the you know the integrity of competition. So if we haven't reached a point now where it should be stopped, what would it take? Do you think for you to for you to feel that way? Well, I think probably that's a question for for the Premier League, not not for one individual club, but obviously. At the front of our minds at all times is, is is player and staff safety, spectator safety. That that they're paramount. We then have to do our bit to support the government and protect the NHS. Clearly, very very important considerations as well. And then we've got to try and, as I said earlier, maintain our business as best we can, provided that we can make sure that it is as good as it can be for, for fans. You know, they're paying good money. They deserve to see top-level football for our broadcast partners, for our sponsors and so on. And, you know, the football industry in this country employs a huge number of people, both directly and indirectly. You know, we support a lot of economies. We, uh, on match days, hotels will benefit, restaurants will benefit, bars and pubs will benefit. So it's not just around the football industry directly that if matches are suspended or if fans uh, are not permitted to attend uh, economies right the way across the country take a hit and obviously we want to try and do all we can to avoid that but always with that balancing act of 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 making sure that we are operating as safely as we can and i suppose even you know i completely take your point that it's um it's it's not a decision that you can make but the clubs are the most sort of powerful players i suppose in that sense in terms of Clubs can clubs can lobby, can't they? Clubs can can put pressure on if they feel it needs to be put on. Yes, and and you know we're we're very fortunate that the Premier League facilitate regular meetings um, of all twenty clubs. We get uh, a, a very good opportunity to voice our concerns. Um, we can debate things openly. Um, we don't always agree. Sometimes we have different opinions on things, which is I think is is healthy. Um, but we're also very conscious that we've got a very difficult and condensed fixture schedule as it is, not just at this time of the year, right the way through to the end of the season. We've got a relatively short summer. We've got an early start to next season. We've got a World Cup at the end of the year uh, next year. It's it's a very, very difficult um, balancing act again to make sure that, that we can complete all of our games within the, the period that we've specified. And of course, as soon as you start getting multiple postponements on a regular basis, the fixture backlog becomes a worry in itself. And at some point, something has to give. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I'm sure we'll be discussing over the next few days will be, you know, just how many games could be postponed before that fixture backlog starts to bite and cause us real problems. But that's something which the Premier League um, are very, very well versed in managing, as are the EFL, as are the FA. Um, and, you know, they've got people far better qualified than me to, to make those big judgments on fixtures and calendars and how everything fits together. I mean, we all in football want to play the games that we have at the time that they're specified because people plan their lives around them in many cases. Um, but at the same time, we've got to live in the real world and we're living with a pandemic here that is not getting any easier. In fact, it's getting a lot worse at the moment. So, you know, we are having to be flexible. We are having to be understanding of each other's situations and, and where we can to try and support each other through the, the difficult period we're facing. But there, there really is not much slack, is there? Right, right through until the end of next year, the World Cup. There really isn't. And when you consider, you know, we haven't even got the FA Cup competition starting yet for for, for clubs at, at Premier League level and, and, and just below it. Um, you know, we've got another competition to get through as well as the Premier League fixtures that are now beginning to, you know, to create a small backlog. You know, in our case, we've already lost our match against Spurs. We've lost our match against Manchester United. Chelsea are playing in the World Club Championship uh, in the new year. We've lost that game as well. So just from Brighton's perspective alone, we've got three fixtures now to, to reschedule. And almost certainly, you know, at least one or two of those are going to be midweek. Um, you know, we might get a, a break if we have an early exit from the FA Cup. You know, we might have a weekend free, but that relies on one of the opponents that we haven't yet played being free to play that game. So, you know, it's really complicated. It's uh, it's a complicated process at the start of any season when the, 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 the guys in the, the league and the FA have to pull together the fixture schedule. It gets even more complicated once the competition alive and running and and of course broadcast contracts tied up in all of this every everyone is expecting their contracts to be fulfilled as was the case previously and understandably so and uh, you know again we we've got a huge and, and important relationship with our broadcast partners they do a fantastic job for the game not just in bringing uh, live coverage and highlights to to fans across the 
across the country and across the world. Uh, but of course, we rely on that income to to help pay for the talent that that people love to watch. And you know, as always, this is a a relatively fragile but complex ecosystem that we all operate in where we rely on each other to produce and, and deliver what we say we're going to produce and deliver. Um, and it's really important that, again, in these situations, we take all of those factors into account. And um, it is complex and it is difficult. Paul, always appreciate you, you coming on. Thank you very much. Thanks, Paul. It's a pleasure, no problem. Top man, Paul Barber, the chief executive at Brighton. Um, John, I just want to ask you on the, the EFL as well, because yes. we've, we've got some really interesting statistics mm. from them. Um, so 59% of players double jabbed, which obviously means you've got 41% of players who, if they were to be deemed a close contact, would therefore have to isolate. But there's also a statistic about you know 25% of players saying they do not intend to get a vaccine. Now, when you kind of couple that with the fact that EFL testing is not as rigorous is probably the right word because it doesn't happen every day like it does in Premier League clubs. We might be able to see, be about to see big problems in the EFL. Mm. It's starting already. But as, as Paul Barber has just said there, you know, there, there are, there's a very clear moral standpoint, isn't there, on, on whether you force people to, to be vaccinated or not. But it was quite striking, and I, like you, felt it was quite interesting that the EFL should should choose to reveal that today, that, that a quarter of the players do not intend to get a, a vaccine. Um, we don't know what the latest figures are for the Premier League, but as of October, 81% of Premier League players had at least one vaccination and 68% two doses. But, um, yeah, and, uh, just a, another very interesting little nugget that was thrown in today. Difficult for the Premier League, difficult for the clubs. Pat Nevin, where are you on this? I don't think I'd want to be talking about quality of product when you're mm. talking about society going through what it's going through just now. I think that's that's not even secondary, that's not even third, that's just so far down the list you shouldn't even be looking at it or considering it. Um, society is in a really difficult position just now. If you look at the way it's growing at the moment, where we are just now and where we'll be in a week's time, it's madness to even think it'll be carrying on. I cannot see it. Certainly not in the way it is just now. Um, even for fans. First and foremost, yeah, players, it's interesting. We'll talk about that. But look, that bunch of fans in all these stadiums here all squashed together. It's, it's not the right time. It's, I remember right at the start of the very first lockdown and I was at the Liverpool game with uh, Atletico Madrid I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, I, was I was there as well. Yeah, yeah, too. I'm thinking yeah, me too. we shouldn't be there. We should not be here. This does not feel right. And turned out it wasn't right. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't have been played. Um, do you know when you're close to that? Don't go any closer. You don't need to. So my feeling is, it's. I'd rather be safe than sorry. And if it means you know we might get lucky and the boosters may get in by January and <clears throat> it might not be as bad a virus as we thought. A lot of mates in there, and that's a whole ch- a whole big load of chances to take. So. It may well be that the fans not coming into the games is, is something that we all hate and we don't want to see. And if that means we don't want to carry on the games for a week or two or three weeks and then see and come back right. There's a few, there's a line from uh, Rafa Benitez, I believe, uh, John Southall was showing us it before. But uh, he said, look, football has to do the right thing by society. Yeah. Um, and has to be an example for the rest of society. Yes, we do. I was at, I was at Arsenal yesterday, last night, I guess, and you could see already there was a lot, um, a lot. It's a big stadium, but there was empty seats, more than there would usually be for a Wednesday night game against West Ham, a London derby, etc., potentially fourth place, blah, blah, blah. Because I think people, people are scared to come to stadiums anyway. I don't know how it was at Liverpool. I could not really see properly on TV. I don't know boys at Chelsea full, either. It was full. So maybe, maybe it's a bit different depending on what. But you had the feeling at, at Arsenal Sunday last night that some people who have maybe season tickets or things like this didn't come. It's not long before Christmas. You don't want to take any risk of catching something and then you stay home. So, you know, already I think a few fans are thinking about it that way. Yeah, it was packed here. It was packed at Anfield with barely anyone wearing masks and the concourse was, was packed as well. Um, yeah, uh, the people didn't seem to be, and you can't speak for everyone, but no. I didn't see too many empty seats, Mark, here. No, though were, I, don't, I don't think there was, well, if anything, there's a handful. The other thing as well is, and, and you know, obviously chief, chief executives of football clubs going about uh, matches, you know, congestion, three games a week. Well, listen, it's the same for everybody. If that's what's going to happen in a few weeks' time after a break, it happens. And, and you know, nobody's disadvantaged by it because they're all disadvantaged by it. What about this from a 
a player's perspective then, Pat? I mean, you know, one of the things we know is that unvaccinated players have got to isolate if they're identified as a close contact, but those who are double-jabbed don't have to do that. You know, just on the, the... If you read the government website, it says unvaccinated people are much more likely to spread the disease than vaccinated people as well. We've talked about the number of players that, that are and aren't vaccinated in football in general, and it's different numbers in the Premier League to the EFL. But when you think about that concept now, you know, that there are still unvaccinated players out there. How do you feel about it? I mean, I was, I was very angry when I, felt, when I found out how low the numbers were uh, initially when this uh, broke. I mean, given due, I mean, a bigger, much, much bigger numbers of footballers have gone and got themselves vaccinated. Mm. But my annoyance back then was, wait a minute, the entirety of society stopped, but we let you carry on. But you can't, because, and we had to do all the right things, you know, to help the rest of society. Well, you kind of get yourself jabbed. But you expect to be able to carry on. I, I, I could not see, this, A, the sense in it, but more importantly, the, the honesty in it. You know, if, if we're giving you as a society, see, we have to come close to lockdown again now. Who knows if we will, but if we do, and when we say to the players, by the way, you, you can carry on. But you don't want to get vaccinated. <laughs> Honestly, it's, it's ridiculous, isn't it's, it? It's, it's so far beyond my thinking. I mean, football should be allowed, if it's allowed to carry on, yeah. But I'm not convinced you should let the, the unvaccinated ones carry on. I really am not convinced of that at all. Because it's unfair on the other players, apart from anything else, the football carries on, even in empty stadiums. So that really upset and annoyed me. But the numbers are, are, are far better now. And uh, I applaud those ones that, you know, decided to do the right thing, not just for themselves, but for society as a whole. The, the latest figures that we had, I mean, again, uh, there might be more recent ones, but 68% uh, in the Premier League of the players, with, and that's just, that's just the first dose, not even double jabs. So 95% rubbish. in France, Guillaume was telling us earlier, 90 plus percent in Spain as well. And that makes a, a, big, that makes a big difference, 42 players or, or staff were tested positive on Monday, wasn't it? The highest we've had in a very long time. This, you know, it's, it's quite understandable then when you I look mean, at those figures. Interesting numbers you give us there, Julian, because my understanding has gone higher than that, but if you're giving me those numbers, that's still that's grotesquely low. Yeah. And the real disappointment, I mean, Rafa's lying there. I mean, so many of the managers, have, a number of managers come out and say, well, it's a choice thing, and it may well be a choice thing. And, you know, if you're going to make that choice, I, I'm not, going, I'm not going to absolutely make it, but I'll tell you what, I don't think you should be playing football. I don't think you should be allowed to mix with everyone else who's, who's been given this free pass to carry on. I don't think you should be allowed that. And you, that would upset me if they carried, carried on if they were vaccinated. You wonder what the culture is at Liverpool and that the manager seems to have set the, the tone at Liverpool. <laughs> He's saying almost 100%. Uh, if not 100% of players and staff yeah. are vaccinated and, and he's very much behind it. He's leading the charge. He's telling the players who look to him and trust him and he leads them, get vaccinated. And I think I think they had a big meeting, the whole first team squad, and he said, this this is what I think. And, and they all agreed with him. As you say, they're nearly all, I think, double-jabbed and probably even boosted as well now. I suppose the, the other thing here, Mark, is that, you know, there, there, there have been a lot of talk about whether or not you know Premier League fixtures should be halted or, or will be halted and if we're talking about percentage players who are double jabbed as opposed to just jabbed obviously there has to be a period of time still between those jabs and the Omicron variant is is said to be you know particularly bad unless you've got two jabs and the booster you mm-hmm. need the booster go and get the booster to stop yourself being most at risk so doesn't that mean that even the idea of a short break might not work all that well because yeah. there's going to be time to catch up with that. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. But at least have a short break and then yeah. and sit and yeah. have a think about it. And, you know, you might then get, as Pat's rightly saying about the players that, that aren't being jabbed, they might suddenly be thinking, well, hold on a minute, actually. You know, that that is the right thing to do. But I just think for the, for the moment, with half the games already off at the weekend, just call the lot off. And then at least you've got a breathing space. It may well be then, you know, you won't play on Boxing Day. Well, you know, Salavi, that's, that's, that's the way that it is. And, and we, we knew how bad it was in the first instance. And as, as Pat said here at uh, Atletico Madrid, I was here as well that night. And then you suddenly think, I remember walking home across the park here at Stanley Park with, with most of the Atletico Madrid supporters. There was three and a half thousand of them. So, look, you know, let, let's just 
Football's great and we love it and we love supporters here. But at the moment, it's going to be a real, real problem. Let's deal with the problem before we even think about when we should or shouldn't be playing football again. Mm. Do you feel the way tonight, Mark, that you felt after that Atletico game then? Did it have that same feeling of, in a couple of weeks' time, will this feel stupid? Maybe maybe not quite. I think as well, when that happened, a lot of people maybe only just had the first jab, I think. Certainly not the second, certainly not the... the there was the, no vaccination. No, there you go, sorry. So there you go. No testing. There you go. So no is the answer to that, Steve. Um, yeah. But you still, you, there's still that worry there, isn't there? Because as you say, you, 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 you know, I mean, even yesterday when the when the games were on, I think there was a report come from Crystal Palace and, and you know, some of the checks, they were random. What, what, what's the point of that? What's the point of having random checks? Because some people, obviously, will, will have got in without vaccinations or anything. It's not really in the club's interest either, though, is it, financially, no. to turn people away? And, no. And to check every single COVID pass on a phone on the way in when you've got a ticket, that is a major job, isn't it, for football clubs at every level? Yeah. I've got the feeling, Pat. At the moment? Um, go on, Pat. If you look in central London just now, just off Oxford Street, the place is empty in comparison to what it usually is in any normal day. People have generally decided, they've listened, they've thought, right, I'm going to go out less, going to go to work less, going to work to home, from home as much as possible just now. They've taken, a lot of people are taking the advice on board. And then you walk into this stadium, there's mob today here. And you think, mm. this is this is one of the few places that's just going to la 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 with the fingers in your ears. And and, and I understand because the, the, there's no legal reason why you shouldn't do it. And I'm sitting here in amongst it all. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. We, we, we need guidance. There needs to be guidance. Yeah. Um, and be it the FA, be it the clubs, be it government. I'm just, this feels ever more uncomfortable just now. We're just going to break off here because we can actually hear now from Thomas Tuchel, who I'm sure will have been asked about this. Uh, here he is speaking to Mark Scott. Another lead and another lead that we gave away. And um, the effort that we give into matches to have at least one goal and the effort that we uh, the, the opponents give into a match to have one goal, this is uh, it's not the same amount of, of, of investment and that's why it's hard to swallow. And I know that you've spoken about the defence not being as mean as they used to be. It was a bad goal to concede from your point of view as well again I guess. That's a set piece. How much of a concern is the sort of defensive run at the moment for you? Defensive today is zero concern today. It's a set piece and we, we concede a set piece this can happen but this is uh, not a defensive concern. What do we have? Expected goals 0.2 or whatever I cannot break my head if we play a, a, a game like this about defence there was zero chance to score they took a free kick so okay well done. So overall not many complaints about your team's performance, it was just not putting those chances chances away that cost you or do you give credit to Pickford because he had a good game didn't he? Yeah we missed chances we uh, could not produce the same high rhythm in second half and uh, we struggled to win one-on-ones offensively so it was, was difficult and uh, but we had enough chances to win the game. And obviously today you were missing quite a few forward players due to various reasons Covid and the like and that was the position that you could have really done with some players to bring on from the bench. Of course we did not have nobody on the bench the last guys offensively who were available no possibility for influence from 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 the bench today um yeah we're missing uh, big personalities big quality we're missing uh, central midfielders since since two months it's like this can't afford to drop many points given the consistency of manchester city and liverpool as well yeah we want me to say liverpool is liverpool city is city we do what we do we have uh, six players out today seven players out today and uh, had enough uh, chances to win the match and we did not win it just finally on that situation the players you got out how much of a concern is the current covid situation do you think we need a bit of a, a break now given all the matches that are getting called off i will not get involved in all this sport politics uh, i'm not the guy to give advice how to handle the situation we are all worried about covid of course because it's close we have uh, four positive one with uh, with um, symptoms we have Mateo Kovacic out other games get cancelled our games did not get cancelled so we do everything to win it we've got Julian Laron, John Akers Mark Lawrence and Pat Nevin all with us um, it, it's not for me to say what's right and what's wrong Pat but Thomas Tuchel has a very different approach to it than, than we've seen from Jurgen Klopp in terms of the, the words that they want to choose and use in that scenario I think it was enough between the lines <laughs> when he said the bit at the end where he said uh, our game is not cancelled that sounded to me like he wanted the game cancelled. 
and he wouldn't mind if games are cancelled just now. Um, but you know, I'm I'm reading between the lines there as as much as possible. I I think he would like to speak more than he does at the moment. But you know, your manager's in a difficult situation sometimes, and uh, you know, if they're saying we should stop the games, then they have to play. They have their rules at the weekend. They may have to go and play that, and these players are thinking, do you not want us to play? So he's strangely a, a delicate line there as well. Um, and anyway, you're asking him just after a game where he thinks his team should have won, and he's right. <laughs> All those chances, he's a bit gutted, and the last thing he wants to do is get drawn into that just now, but I suspect he feels not dissimilar to Jurgen. Because what's the rule now then? Is it is it like if you've got 10 players out, only on COVID, then then your game can be postponed. Is it less? We don't. We we're not. We're not sure because the Premier League are not saying anything. I, I I'm pretty sure that of all those games that have been postponed this midweek, and the ones already in the weekend, they don't all have ten players out for COVID. So in a way, maybe Tuchel is right. If some have five out because of COVID and their game is postponed, why not Chelsea, for example? Why not Liverpool with with three? What in in that case? But I think I think. We need a bit of clarity here. Okay, this is the rule now. This is this new variant is crazy. So the new rule is forget about the, the ten out or the thirteen players available or whatever it was before. Let's go. If you've got five or more, your game has to be postponed. We can't take the risk. You close your training ground. We do all. We take all those um, decisions to make sure that it doesn't spread more because okay you've got players out but like like John was saying how many more than in Liverpool now tomorrow or the day after if you start with three and and it will be the same for every other club and I think there's a lack of clarity here from the Premier League on what is the rule to postpone matches because clearly clearly Tuchel but he's right Tuchel was not happy that their game went on you've also got the situation where they're having lateral flows testing positive and then having to wait for the PCR result when they know that the chances are that those players are positive. So you've got a delay in some cases before you can prove that those players are positive with a PCR result. It just seems a wee bit head in the sand at the moment, doesn't it? When you consider mm. it ain't going to get better. <laughs> it's not suddenly going to stop. You know, considering the numbers and the increase in numbers just now, it's not going to get suddenly oh the, the, the clubs will clean it all up and uh, it won't spread within the players yeah, of course it is it, it's going it, to is there an argument though Pat that you know if, if you close it all down you close it all down but you could have a situation where you know if there are clubs who haven't got these problems and are playing other clubs who haven't got these problems then, then why not have that game, you know, why not keep what can keep going, keep that going? Yeah, that doesn't make sense. I'm going to try that again. A possibility doing that keep going, what can be kept going? That's the one. Right, and 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 maybe that's a good idea. There's, there are arguments against it. One of the arguments against it is sporting integrity. Those mm-hmm. games you will suspect would have to then be played behind closed doors. So if yeah, you are the home team, and you're not playing with the fans behind you. You have lost an advantage there. Um, so you've you've lost a part of sporting integrity. When the games might come back, if we're lucky in a month's time, if you're very lucky, you've lost that opportunity. Whereas other teams you're up against, you know, you get that again. So you start losing a bit of sporting integrity, and that's one of the things that was mentioned earlier on. And uh, I think a lot of managers will be a bit disappointed with that. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm kind of just playing devil's advocate here, Jules. But I know, like for example, in Germany, they've they've reduced attendances i think what mark said earlier is is right you know if you have full attendances and you're trying to get a covid passport from everyone you're not going to check everyone it's going to be spot checking but if you reduce the attendances maybe you could check everybody that comes in completely and maybe maybe that's a possibility uh, one of the options i'm sure that they're looking at uh, because at least football was still happening and, and maybe Pai is right maybe the right thing to do now is have a, a mini winter break and you forget about Boxing Day I know how important Boxing Day is in this country of course not just for the Premier League but for all a lot of lower leagues uh, clubs and divisions and fans and all of that I get it but this is such an extreme situation now that maybe this is the right thing to do but certainly I think reducing the capacity is another option that is that that could be good that could make a difference certainly and then you can check everyone uh, which you can't do with 60,000 50, 45 whatever the numbers it's too, it's too hard and 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 yeah and a bit more clarity again from the Premier League or, of, of what, what what clubs can do or can't do yeah and, and obviously this this leads us on to, to Sergio Aguero Jules who, who announced his retirement it, I mean it's, it is really sad that, that he's had to, to call time in his career I know people will say you know, 33 isn't that young, but this is a really serious problem that he's that he's got, and obviously we all wish him the best. 
Yeah, we do. Uh, it's sad, you're right. It's sad to see him uh, so emotional in his press conference. Of course, it's sad that he will not play football again, certainly not at, at the top level. It's sad that his last season, what is now his last season, ended, ended that way. It's, it's sad as well that the last two seasons, uh, before the heart problem, he's had a lot of injuries. But again, we, we can't forget, and that will not forget make us forget what an incredible player he's been pretty much everywhere he... He played uh, whoever he played for, whatever league. Uh, Pep had this this line, didn't he, saying that Maradona conquered Italy and Messi conquered Spain and Aguero conquered England. Not so sure about Aguero con- conquering England and I, I was not certainly not put him in the same bracket as the other two, but you see what Pep uh, meant. I mean, five, five Premier League titles, all those goals, some more incredible than others. Of course, the 2012 one to win the league for City will, will forever be the, the most iconic one. But yeah, it's, it's sad to see him like that. It was a very different Aguero that I saw than the one I knew from Manchester City from from Mixo. You you saw that football meant a lot to him because at Manchester City he was known as one of the cheeky boys. Even in mixed zones he could be yeah a little bit naughty. Didn't talk <coughs> a lot, but once a year he talks talked to his Spanish friend and uh, then he was quite cheeky. And that was how the teammates knew him too. He liked to organize some parties sometimes for them. So he was. He was a great lad to have in the squad. That's what they told me because he, yeah, he had that naughty side or that cheeky side that players uh, players like in the dressing room. And yeah, the press conference was a different Aguero, the one yeah who just likes to play football like he's always done since he was a kid, I think. And yeah, then it's suddenly taken away because of a yeah a, a medical issue, and that's always quite hard, definitely because yeah, football is have not known anything else than, than football usually in their lives. Guillaume, can you tell us about the, the young Aguero when he, he first arrived in Spain? Because my first memory must have been, would have been about 2006, 2007 maybe. And there was a, there was a, a La Liga commentator that I knew, a guy called Mick Conway. And all Mick. he did was bang on about Sergio Aguero. Every single time I saw him, Sergio Aguero, Steve! He, he would not stop talking about him. And it pains me to say that he was dead right. <laughs> yeah, and he was dead right very early on because actually he was 17 when he arrived to Atletico Madrid that first season that he mentioned, 6-7, I think he was. He was just coming from the bench. He had to adapt. Uh, a little cheeky story from the cheeky Kunagüero from that time. He didn't have a driving license, and he was driving around everywhere. And uh, because he was one of the new cars that the team got, uh, but it was his car, but couldn't drive it. The driver was driving it for him until he said, "Can I drive it for a little bit?" Um, that was followed up by a little accident, uh, crashing with the car next to it because he was passing by the Vicente Calderón and forgot that he was driving, and he started pointing out at the stadium. Uh, and then there was uh, just um, there's there's so many stories like that where. Um, some of them are perhaps a little bit funnier, but but certainly if somebody who seemed to be walking the world like with with the innocence of a of a teenager, and then the season after he started scoring goals, I think he was 27 in total. A couple of years later, uh, he became the superstar of, of the team already very early on. But a couple of years later, they won the uh, the Europa League and also the uh, European Super League before leaving in 2011 to Real Madrid. Oh, sorry, no, he went to Manchester City. But he should have gone to Real Madrid because that's where he wanted to go. Uh, he had said in his mind that uh, um, he wanted to wear the white shirt of Real Madrid and um, kind of announced that he was leaving because he thought he was going to Real Madrid, uh, by which uh, Florentino Perez, the chairman of Real Madrid, had to break a, uh, a deal that he had with Enrique Cerezo, the chairman of Atletico Madrid, in which they said, you know, we wouldn't take each other's uh, players. And Florentino said... After that, is a, maybe just Kun, <laughs> and after that, nothing more, nothing more. Florentino anyway, broke a promise. Being... What? <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so yeah, he went to Manchester City, and the rest is, is history, of course. Guillaume hmm. de Atletico. Rem- I remember from that last, uh, from that late early. 2000, they were quite an inconsistent team and they were constantly losing players. Uh, Fernando Torres left. They had good players, but they were really inconsistent and not really performing, performing every season. But what was, I was wondering, how were they able to get Aguero, for instance, because he already had a reputation in in, uh, in Argentina and 
at that point, Atletico didn't have a lot of money either, I think, because they yeah, were quite debt-loaded, debt-loaded like a lot of Spanish teams. It's a Joao Felix situation. So uh, when he was 17, he scored, uh, I think he did 56 appearances for Independiente and he was breaking goal-scoring records uh, You know that Maradona had held before him in the 70s. And then he was wanted by Hamburg, Chelsea, Corinthians, Villarreal, Atletico Madrid, Bayern, but uh, Atletico said, OK, we pay 23 million and everybody got a good commission. But the idea, of course, is that he will go for double that, which he did for 40 million euros. So it was always it was always, always the plan. And in a, in a way, he lasted longer than expected at a club like Atletico Madrid. As you said, after winning the Europa League, he was like, Kun Agüero said it, in, I remember that day, was the final against Fulham. And he said, right, now, next, La Liga, we're going to win the, the league title. And, and everybody was shaking their head. No, I don't think so. He wasn't an Atletico Madrid ready for that anyway. I mean, I think maybe the, the the best thing in a way is that his last trophy then was the Copa America in the summer, even if he didn't have a stellar role, really. Mm. I don't think it mattered. For him, who had over 101 caps and scored 41 goals, and yeah, OK, they won, he won the, the, uh, the, the gold medal at the Olympics with Messi. Uh, but, but to finally do it with, with Messi as well, with his best friend and, all, and some of that generation to, to finally win something at the end, at 33 years of age, even if he didn't play much, I think would have been very special to him. And, and for, for it to be the last trophy of his career, I think it's, it's quite beautiful too. Yeah. If any of you guys want to get in at the F1, I'm, uh, I'll sort you out for next season. Do you know that I've many got, people now? Are you that big I've over there the now as well? Yeah, I've got all the connections for you, Jules. <laughs> oh, it's so French, beautiful. It's a French, French Grand Prix, I don't oh, know. Formula One is so nice. People are so nice. Oh, it's so they great. They were lovely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they were friendly. They, I asked them for an interview and they said, yeah, they did an interview. It was easier than getting you on air, to be honest. <laughs> Oh, no. So it was. It was. It's an exciting weekend to to have, even if you're working. Then, really oh, personally, unbelievable. Yeah, great sport and great sports news. I, I was saying to someone because we, basically we, we did breakfast from out there, and we had um, we had someone on the show who's one of the head stewards. I was like, this is like doing the World Cup final 15 years ago, and you're like, well, diving's been a problem in the tournament, so you'll need a strong referee. Let's speak to the referee of the World Cup final. He's joining <laughs> us live. It's unbelievable that you can do. But you guys are fine too. Oh, thank you. But you yeah. jinx it for Lewis as well, by the way. The guy always wins, and then the day you're there, the one <laughs> race he has to win, he doesn't. So, you know, yeah. well done. Well anymore. done. All the British people salute. Thank you very much for listening, Bills. Thank you as always, guys. Cheers. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Locker Room on Joy 99.7 FM. The podcast will be available online at myjoyonline.com in 30 minutes. This production was powered by Joy Sports.